The trouble with most histories of sport is that they're written by people who were there. Any idiot with a press card, don't get me wrong, many of these idiots I count as personal friends, can tell you what the atmosphere is like on a big night of European Cup football in the San Siro, or capture the sights and sounds of thoroughbred racehorses charging over the fences at Aintree, or report the collected speeches of gold medal winners at the Olympic Games. And any athlete with a decent ghostwriter can describe the goals, the runs, the knockouts, the boos, the sex, the drugs, and for a disturbing number of former tennis professionals these days, the rock and roll. But to chronicle the last 60 colourful, tempestuous years of sport through the eyes of those who were present at its epoch-making events is to ignore a multi-channel elephant in the corner of the room. Because without the unholy union between sport and television, the sporting landscape we look out on today would be unrecognisable. The story of sport needs to be written by someone who stayed at home and watched, and my credentials to be its author are impeccable. I've made a kind of career out of watching sport on TV. Apologies if that does a disservice to those of you in real careers like medicine, the law, or online pornography, but for the past 14 years, The Guardian newspaper has paid me to produce a column based, sometimes rather loosely, on televised sport. Before that, I watched a good deal on an amateur basis, going back to the mid-1950s, when the whole business started in earnest. I only realised what an immense social history I was sitting on when I appeared on a sporting discussion programme on BBC Radio 5 Live with some much younger contributors, and was asked about the build-up to the 1966 World Cup final. What build-up? I was forced to reply. We were excited, of course, largely because there was to be live football on TV, a rarity in those days. But there were no special supplements in the papers, no dedicated sports sections. It didn't occupy our every waking moment. Looking at the TV schedules for Friday the 29th of July 1966, the eve of the great match, I know the BBC manages a half-hour show, World Cup Report, at 7pm. Meet the teams and the personalities who play tomorrow. Allocating precisely 20 minutes less screen time to the match of the century than to the Hippodrome Circus Great Yarmouth, which occupies the peak time slot at 8pm. ITV has no World Cup preview at all, scheduling Ready Steady Go against the BBC's Meet the Teams programme. I can't say for certain, but I suspect I may have been watching ITV. As a teenager in 1966, pop music took precedence over almost everything. Nor was there any great hoopla on TV after the triumph. The BBC granted Grandstand a whole 20 minutes extra to round up the momentous events of the day. Had West Germany not equalised in the final minute, we should all have been enjoying the Laurel and Hardy short County Hospital on the BBC by 5.20. One of the best, as it happens, where Stan brings hard-boiled eggs and nuts to Ollie's bedside.